Welcome to the Black College Sports and Education Foundation weekly podcast, where we equip students, athletes, their families, and supporters with vital tools and information that will impact their decisions on educational opportunities and careers. Tune in every Thursday night at 7 Eastern Standard Time as we host prominent guests from a variety of backgrounds, such as education, sports, medicine, and the corporate world. Remember, the Black College Sports and Education Foundation is your one-stop resource center. Now here's your host, Gil McGregor. Good evening, everyone, and welcome to Black College Sports and Education Foundation podcast. I'm your host this evening. My name is Gil McGregor, and today is a special day for me. We've had some podcasts earlier, and I've been excited with the guests, but today is a little bit different. Today is a lot more special than others. Today, I have as my guest a past teammate. I was in the NBA for long enough to have about a half a cup of coffee. But that cap of cup of coffee was with the Cincinnati Royals. And I had a teammate who was one of the top 50 players in the history of the league, who was seven-time all-star, who's done something that's never been done before. Don't know if it'll be done again. This teammate, he led the NBA in scoring and assists in the same season. That means he put it up and he passed it out better than anybody else in the same year, and that doesn't usually happen. Got a couple of nicknames. One is the skate, which is what he made people look like they were on when they were trying to guard him. He's making them go right, left, and sideways, and backwards, and all like that. Left-handed, as quick as lightning. Or one of those guys, they say, you know, it cut the light off and be in bed before it got dark. That's how quick he is. But he's got another nickname. And that one is the one that I suppose entices me so much to talk to younger players. I say, well, you got to be seven, two, three, four, five, six to play in the league. Now his other nickname is Tiny, because he wasn't the biggest dude, but he certainly was one of the best. And as much of a friend, or more of a friend than this basketball savant I'm calling and telling you about, ladies and gentlemen, friends, acquaintances, please welcome my teammate. My friend, Nate Tiny Archibald. Tiny, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Gil. I'm glad to be aboard. Man, I'm glad to have you aboard. When I found out that I could get you as a guest, I said, well, now people are going to think, you know, Gil be telling people he knows folk that he don't really know. <laughs> <laughs> they don't know that you set the best pick and rolls, and you was a rebounder, and you were also a scorer. People say, well, how did Gil score? Pass him the ball so he could score. Okay, and that made my assist ratio go up. I told guys, we had guys, you know, before I got in the league, jumping Johnny Green, I saw him a couple months ago because they honored Oscar Robertson, and Johnny said, you made me. I said, no, 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 you made us, man, because the history that he had, not as just a great player, okay, but a great friend and a great mentor. And that's what the league did for me, Gil. Y'all did that for me. You know, and people think because the so-called scoring and assisting, I said, I couldn't play by myself, okay? I had to have guys that could contribute and that, that I believed in and they believed in me. So they gave me a chance to shine, and I hope that, you know, people recognize that, that we could go a long way. We had a reunion in North Carolina. We had guys that 
for Cincinnati stuff. And I'm saying maybe we didn't play with Tom Thatcher and those guys. But Johnny Green was there, you was there, and I was there. And we had still that type of, I call it camaraderie. Not that we won NBA championships, Gil, but we have that camaraderie that we had a good time. It was about fun back then. You know, it's about the dollars now, but it was about fun, trying to win games, but it was about fun. Knowing people, trying to get to know family and stuff like that, but going out there and battling every day and every night in order to try to win games. Well, we did that. We did that, Tiny, and I do appreciate you remembering that because I look back on it. I was talking to a buddy of mine, and I don't know, you might not remember this, but this is one of the specific things that I remember. We were on the bus, and we had probably flown somewhere because teams didn't have their own planes like they do now. So we were on the bus headed to the hotel. And for the first time I heard your tape of what's going on by Marvin Gaye in the back of the bus. And we were marveling over how great those words and those rhythms were because you were such a big fan of music. I'm sure you still are. And I was then. And here I was sitting in the back grooving along with Tiny Archibald. And, of course, our teammate, he's passed for the guy I'll never forget, is Sam Lacey. No the question about it. Characters I ever met in my life. He had more funny stories <laughs> than anybody I ever heard before. Make you laugh. Make you laugh. Yeah, we had a good time when I was with Cincinnati. Let me tell you a quick story. Sam went to New Mexico State. I went to Texas Western, which became University of Texas El Paso. We hated each other. Cool. Really? Yeah. Cool's as smart as he was. See, now, Gil, you don't have to room with anybody. He decided okay, that that's right. he's going to break this ice. I'm going to make y'all two roommates. Oh, so we looking at each other, growling and, you know, snarling and stuff like that, not smiling at each other like, what are you looking at, man? He said, I'm going to come <laughs> over there and punch you out. And then he started laughing, and I said, oh, my God, he's going to punch Sam 6'11", almost 7 feet. And I said, man, he's going to punch me out because we used to play them. That was our rivalry. They was only 30 miles from El Paso because they was in Las Cruces. So after that, Gil, we had a good time, man. And if he was still here, we still remained friends. But we talked about, damn, you know what? They psyched us out, okay? They made us hate each other so the other team can win. And, Gil, that was almost like how the NBA was when we was back then. We didn't know the Lakers. We knew they had Jerry and Will and those guys in New York with Walt and all those guys. But we hated them guys because those guys was winning, okay, and we weren't winning that many games. So he mesmerized us to say, man, y'all got to hate them guys. But it was a thing that, hell, man, we hated those guys on the floor. But when they got off the floor, they were just like us, put their uniform on the yeah, same way yeah. and do the same thing. Only thing is we didn't win that many games. So he made us feel like the underdog all the time. But I had a good time, man. I swear, I, I tell people that the best times I had was growing in the game because people think you automatically a pro. I said growing in the game, learning your teammates, knowing that they doing battle just like you doing battle. And you don't have to win all the time. We tried to win all the time because we didn't go in with a losing attitude. We just tried to win. It was just that, unfortunately, there were teams that were just a little better than us and had more experience. That's all. You know, I remember, again, a special time for me because that's the longest I spent. After that, I finished playing ball over in Europe. But I had that time to remember and to look back on and say, well, I was good enough to make a professional team, which for me was a real big accomplishment. But I remember another one of our teammates, your running mate in the backcourt, storming Norm Van Leer. Yep, yep. 
the greatest, I tell people, the greatest mentor for me because I was coming in as a rookie, Norm had a chance to play with Oscar. Oscar was removed. He went to Milwaukee when they won a championship Milwaukee, with, yeah. Kareem, with Kareem, okay? And right now that's the only championship that, you know, they won. And I see Oscar occasionally, you know, All-Star Weekend, sometimes when he comes up to the Hall of Fame. But they honored him this year. A foundation honored Oscar, humanitarianism, man of the year. I mean, we sat down and talked. I said, I would have loved, because Kuz was good, okay, but Oscar was a player, okay? And, you know, we had Norm. We had Jimmy Walker at one time. We had guys that played in the backcourt. I told people Norm was more instrumental on me than anybody else. Kuz was a coach. Kuz didn't go out and play. He practiced with us, Gil, but he didn't really actually yeah. go out there and play. And Norm was a guy that stepped up all the time. I remember when we were playing the Lakers, okay, and Gil, when we young, I mean, Jerry West, 81, I'm 70, okay, you have a, what I call a dream team, and not that actual dream team, but guys that you dream about playing against. And I was like, yes, man, when we yes. went out to L.A., we had to play Jerry West, Gail Goodrich, you know, you talk about the great one, Will Chamberlain. They had a guy named Happy yes. Madison. They had some players, okay? So I'm dreaming about God and Jerry, and I know I couldn't. You know, Kuz goes over stuff on the board and stuff like that. Who got Jerry, blah, 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 blah. Before we walked on the court, Norm looked at me and said, I got Jerry. I'm like, you got him, all right? I had Jerry <laughs> on my dream list to play against him. I said, but you got him. Norm would always step up and guard the hardest guy. I said, he made the game so much easier for me. And I said, why? I said, I got to shoot a little more. I didn't have to battle God. When he left, you know this, Gil, we didn't really have anybody except for Jimmy Walker in the backcourt that helped me bring the ball up the floor. Matty Gukas was a shooter. We had Don Mangel, who was a shooter. Donnie Mangel, that's but, right. But we didn't have guys that I could say, hey, man, you know what, you take it and bring it up, and I'll be down there waiting to shoot the ball. We didn't have guys. And I wasn't a great shooter because people said he was a scorer. I said I wasn't a great shooter, okay, but I could score. But when Norm left, it put kind of a burden on me because I didn't have the same – guy in the backcourt that I shared the ball with. He helped me out, okay? But he was a tremendous defensive player, man, and he didn't take no mess from anybody. No, he had that spirit. He didn't back down to anybody. Not at all. Not at all. I want to mention a couple things, Gil, before we go on. Okay. There is sure. a puzzle in my mind that I'm confused about, and I'm going to mention some names, and I hope people are listening first without making a comment. There's a guy who was under Dr. Naismith. His name is John McClendon. And I think the Hall of Fame rectified this mistake. Gil, they had him. He's in the Hall of Fame twice, okay? First, they had him as a contributor. He was at Tennessee State. He won the MEAC. He won the CIAA. And I'm saying he won more games at that time than any other college basketball coach in the history of the game at a predominantly black school. Okay, a couple years ago, they decided that, oh, we made a little mistake. So he's in there twice as a contributor and as a coach in the Basketball Hall of Fame. I'm saying, but how can y'all make that mistake? Yes, Dr. Naismith mentored him, but y'all never checked out his college credentials, okay? And I'm going to mention a couple other guys, and then we could go on. There should okay. be a couple guys that should be in the Basketball Hall of Fame today. Sonny Hill, Ben Joe, who coached. Avery Johnson, okay, 
and also one of your mentors, and I know you're going to be shocked when I say this, Billy Packer. Billy Packer started the network on sports early then, and I could name a people, but I'm not going to name them, and he was doing the ACC. He was doing black college, CIAA. He was doing the MEAC. He knew all the players. He knew the coaches, big house games, and all the rest of the guys. He should be in the Basketball Hall of Fame also. You know what? I agree with you. I'll tell you the one thing that we've really been fortunate is we had Sam Jones on, Tiny, and Sam right. played for Coach McClendon at Central, North Carolina Central. Right. So we had a good opportunity to talk about Coach McClendon. In fact, Sam was telling us his mom lived behind Coach McClendon in Laurenburg, North Carolina, and he said he knew he was going to Central because Coach McClendon put him in the Buick, drove him there. <laughs> He's going to school here. And said his mama did the recruiting, so he didn't have no competition. And it's great talking about Coach McClendon and his contributions. And Sam Jones said to me, he said, Gil, you know, he said, I ran the 1-4 in 1951. And he said, everybody talks about it being the University of North Carolina idea. He said, I ran that 1-4 in 1951, he said, because John McClendon had us doing that and had right. us running the fast break. So but Gil, was- they borrowed a lot of stuff. Look at the NBA now. That's what they're doing. They're getting up and down the floor. The court is yes. a lot more spread. I haven't been to the CIAA in about two or three years, but when I see it, I'm marveled that. You got so many great athletes that never get drafted. And I do a little bit of homework, Gil. I looked at that Basketball Hall of Fame top 50, okay, and I'm going to name three guys, and that's all. Like you mentioned, Sam, that's my man. Sam, my man Jones, okay, like you said, North Carolina Central, Earl the Pearl Monroe. And yes, indeed. three. Okay, if you look at the top so-called, and I say this all the time, people say, why you say that? I say, because some people don't believe that some of us should be on there. Okay, so I say the so-called top 50. You look at all the rest of the guys, and they went to predominantly white colleges. Okay, you name them, and I'll tell you which school they went to. Okay, but those guys, and I watched Earl when he was at Winston-Salem because you know this guy, Ernie Brown, is his best friend, and I know you know Ernie. Oh, yeah. And I know some of the guys oh, yes. I played with you. Charlie Davis, okay, Norman Tobman, all from Manhattan, New York City. Yes. And I used to yes. battle with those guys all the time. And you know what, Gil? I'm glad they went to Wake. And people say, why is that? So I wouldn't have to see them until the summer. Okay, because <laughs> I didn't want to play against them guys. And they'll probably say, yo, man, I hated to play against him, but I hated to play against y'all too. But it was the competitive spirit in us that we just wanted to go out and battle and just see who wound up the best that day. That's all. Well, I tell you what. What I want to ask you, because those are names of people who are close to me. And you mentioned Ben Job. Ben Job coached a guy who I think was one of the classiest guys I ever met. That was Bobby Fields, you know. And Bobby Fields played at Cleveland and also played here in Charlotte whenever they got right. a team. And Bobby went to Southern for Ben Joe with Southern, and we're going to try to have some folk who can tell us a little bit more about the great basketball mind of Ben Joe in coming podcast. I'm going to talk about your scoring, and I said, what well, you're shooting, but you played when they didn't have a three-point line, and you also played when they could hold people, when they could direct you defensively. How much better, how much easier a game that you have, you think it would have fit in today's NBA? Gil, I was more of a penetrator, and the, today's game, there's not that many, and you might find one or two, because Shaq is not, no longer in the league. A, guy, a center, okay, Philadelphia, see if I, I can name somebody else. Not that many centers 
block shots, okay? More of them are stretch, and they shoot on the perimeter and stuff like that, but not that much defensive centers that block shots. You know, I played in an era where, you know, you talk about, if you look at the top 50, the greatest centers in the game. You know, I go from small because he's considered a center. You know, you got Dave Collins, you got Bill Walton, you got Bill Chamberlain, you got Bill Russell, you got Wes Ansel, you got Willis Reed, you got Walt Bellamy. Nate Thurman. uh, Nate Thurman. I mean, I probably miss some people, uh, and I'm looking at them, the guys that I had to – try to get to the basket on because it was a task getting by my man first, and now you got a defensive center, especially Nate Thurman. Nate Thurman would be guarding Sam, and next thing you know, he got you. And I'm like, oh, my God. <laughs> he got long arms and long legs, and I'm saying, hey, Sam, are you going to move for me so I can give you an easy shot, or are you going to keep on letting him block my shot? But, I mean, they were the great centers, they were the great centers back then, Gil. It was more body contact. You know, and when you go across the pick, you might lose your teeth and stuff like that. But I think that they get that they change the rules. The people say did they change the rules to make the game safer or softer? I said a combination of both. Okay, because back then, guys could score, hand checking, body slamming, and stuff. Guys could score. They felt at a certain time in the new millennium, okay, guys couldn't score. So they alleviated the hand checking and the body slamming, and they opened up the game a little more. But now I think the game is better, Gil. I'm serious. It's better. Okay. If Gil Gil McGregor was playing today and where you were, Gil was a forward slash center. You know how to be physical. And I tell kids this all the time. What do you think my chances are? I said, you go out and practice, okay? I said, there wasn't no three-point shot when we were playing, but I'm saying if I wanted to shoot threes, Gil, the way I went to the basket, I could shoot as many threes as I want on guys. You're going to get that and one. It's the percentage that you produce when you practice, and if you don't shoot well, you don't shoot none. Okay? I'm just telling guys, why shoot a three and you're not a three-point shooter? Because I was open. I'm saying as many times I was open, (laughs) y'all would say, yo, T, go to the basket, and if my man you know, commits to you, I'm free. And that's my concept. I don't believe in going all the way to the basket. Gil McGregor, who's really not a great shooter at that time, okay, could be now, throw the ball back to Gil, shoot a three-point shot, and knowing that he's not a three-point shooter, okay? I think that's a wasted effort and waste of a penetration. But the way guys are shooting the ball now, I don't know, man. The game is wide open, and the best guys who can get to the basket I mean, you look at Kobe, you look at LeBron, you look at some guys, CP3. You can look at some smaller guys, Russell Westbrook. I mean, he goes yeah, to yeah. because you can't touch him. And I tell people, I love to see a guy like that. People say sometimes he's out of control and he don't do this and that. But I love to see a guy develop for his other teammates. I mean, he's leading the, you know, the triple-doubles and stuff like that. But yeah. they also are not winning as much as he would like to. So now he's with Houston. We'll see if he makes that transition, Gil, because I went from playing with y'all, Cincinnati, Kansas City, to Celtics, and my game had to change. I had to manage. And people say manage. I had to manage the game. We had guys that could play and that could score. So they wasn't relying on your scoring. You won a championship with the Celtics. But they were relying on your so-called knowledge and wisdom and how to control the tempo of the game. And I thought I fit in good, okay? We ran 
like we was running in Cincinnati, but we had more guys that could finish. That's what it was. And we were winning games, so that definitely made me happy. Let me ask you about one other modern player. Then I want to ask you to talk to the young people listening about the importance of education and the role it played in your life. What about Kyrie Irving? What do you think of him? I think he's a great player. I hope he fits in Brooklyn. And people are trying to make a comparison. And I yes. tell them that y'all asking the wrong person. And I'm going to tell you why, Gil. Kyrie was born in Australia. His dad lived two blocks from me in the South Bronx. Really? So I knew his dad, Dedrick Irving, went to BU, okay? But he grew up with Rod Strickland and a couple other guys, Ty Boyd and all of those guys. And I knew him. We were part of what they call Mitchell Houses, and it was a community center at Eastside Houses, which encompasses Mitchell, Millbrook, Monhaven, and Patterson. I grew up in Patterson. It's like two blocks away from him. So I saw his dad grow up. I'm not saying Kyrie is like his dad. Okay, but people say, oh, no, he's from New Jersey. I said, his residency is in New Jersey. I said, do you know where he was born? People said, yeah, New Jersey. I said, no, his dad was playing overseas in Australia. He was born in Australia, okay? The other guy, okay, and I think he's a great player. I'm just hoping that he fits because I listened to, you know, first take and all the stuff, and people said, well, he didn't fare that well. The guys didn't accept him when he came back from the injury and stuff like that. So you got a new guy, but he ain't new especially to me, okay? Let me give you the take on my man, okay, who's up in Boston now, okay, Kemba Walker. Kemba, yeah. I'm just telling you, South Bronx, okay, went to Rice High School, all right? And if you ask him, if you ever have him on a show, you say, you know, Nate Tynell, he said, we interacted when I was in high school. Then he went to UConn, okay? He came back. A couple weeks in the summer, we interacted. Because people always say work. I say work, to me, qualifies guys getting paid. I'm going to get paid, but not financially. They come back and reward me by saying, man, you know what, thanks, tiny, blah, 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 blah. So I'm a city guy, okay? When people come in the city or they was born and raised in the city, they always funnel those people to me, boys and girls, okay, Gil? So I'm, like, open on the comment between both of them. I hope he fares well up there, okay, because okay. he's in Charlotte. And I hope that people realize that it wasn't like he really wanted to leave, okay? I don't know what the difficulties was, but he loved it. His mother loved it because I knew his mother way back when. You know, you take a kid out of the city and you bring him to, and it's not the country, okay, you bring him to wide open spaces, friendlier people when you cross the Mason-Dixon line, because I know people say, what are you talking about? When you cross the Mason-Dixon line, the people are friendly. When you come up to New York, <laughs> watch your back. Cover your, yes, cover your wallet, put your wallet in a safe place, okay, because it's <laughs> different here. I'm wishing that both of them do well, okay? New teams and not new areas, because you remember Kimber went to UConn, okay? He went that's up right, there, that's and, right. And he's going to have a great fan base up there, but Kyrie's always been a city guy. I'm telling people that. When he was with Boston, I said, does he have programs in New York? They said, yeah, through his dad. His dad has a program in the South Bronx, St. Mary's. I'm just going to name the places because those are the places that we grew up. It's called Give Back. His dad was doing it. Now the son is doing it, and hopefully the torch will be passed around to other people, Gil. That's what it's about. It's not about me That's what it's about. Yes. everything. 
okay? Pass the torch around and see how many people step up. Well, we've got a program that we're involved with, Tiny. It's called CPEP, and it's a program of being in the schools and showing young men and young women that they can go beyond high school somewhere. Everybody right. talks about four-year schools. That, that might not be the path for everybody at that same time. So we're encouraging people to go to community colleges, junior college, technical schools, just go beyond high school. That's what we're trying to get them to do. And our CPAC program is one that we will take to a school and show them how we can show the young people the things that they need to know, the things that they need to check to make sure they're doing to help them on the right path, and maybe showing some of the adults who don't necessarily always point the kids in the right direction, which right. brings up a guy that I'd like for you to talk about his pointing you in the right direction, the name Pablo Robinson. Pablo went to Clinton before me. I played with his brother, Walter Robinson, who went to the same school Pablo went to, Loyola, Chicago. And Pab was a Manhattan guy. I tell people, we got along. Pab was Manhattan. I was in the South Bronx. Because people say the Bronx. No, I'm saying the South Bronx, which is different than being in the Bronx. Okay, I grew up in the projects. He used to come back. We used to see him in the summertime. He would talk to everybody, not just me, everybody about education. Same vehicle that y'all are trying to instill upon the youngsters about education. Go to school. Get your education because back then, Gil, you got to remember when you went to Wake Forest, how many guys, and I'm not putting you on the spot, when I went to Texas Western, which became University of Texas El Paso, not that many guys did a one and done, okay? They wasn't no. ESPNs and all that kind of stuff. So some of us had to get an education. I'm not saying it was false, but we had to get an education because we had mamas and papas saying that. You're not going back to Wake Forest? Where are you going to live at? Not what you're going to do, Gil. Where are you living at? And you'd be like, yes, I'm living, living out here. No, you're not. You're going back to school and get that free education because you never know where you're going to wind up. My mom told me that when I lived in the project, she said, give me your key. I'm saying, my key? She said, you're going to college, right? She didn't care where I was going, Gil. She said, you're going to college? I said, yeah. She said, give me your house key. I'm saying, but mom, she said, you ain't going to need it. Okay, and don't be calling me collect either. And don't be calling me collect. Bill, we had no cell phones and stuff like that. We had a phone that was on the wall. Okay, and That's we had right. to dial That's numbers right. and stuff. So I'm just telling people what was happening back then. Our parents were concerned and cared about us going to school and trying to get an education because some of our parents did not go to college. Okay, couldn't That's afford right. it and didn't get a chance to do a little game of basketball and. People like Floyd Lane and Hilton White, Sonny Hill, those guys mentored me and said, you going to school. They didn't care what if I played basketball or not, Gil. They said, you going to school. And what you all trying to do, I think, is on the money. You got our kids that are just going and taking courses. I think that they should look at, okay, the technical, the vocational, and also engineering. Because a lot of our kids are not into engineering. That's right. Different avenues, okay, and you talk about high-tech stuff. Our kids, if they get your phone, Gil, they know the ins and outs of your phone. Why don't you go to school and take some technical courses? Because y'all got this. The modern technology they got, computer stuff, they got it. But some of them, no, nah, I don't want to do it. Yo, 
You can make so much money doing it. A lot of us are not in it, especially the black people are not doing it, okay? We are so creative in our minds, and we got to put it to use. We got to put it to use. And you have a master. See, people are here whenever they hear basketball greatness. Sometimes they automatically say, well, if he was great in basketball, he probably ain't do nothing else academically. But you got a master's, and are you still working on the doctorate? I'm still working on it, and I have to go back to Texas Western University of Texas, El Paso, just like you have to go back to Wake. I have an undergrad degree in elementary ed. I have a master's in supervision and administration, Fordham University. They can look it up. They don't believe me. Or they could call Fordham University, okay? And I have a PD, which is a professional degree in supervision and in administration at Fordham University, okay? Not the one in Rose Hill, because Rose Hill is in the Bronx, the one down in Lincoln Center, because that's where the grad programs are. So people say, well, how do you know? I had to go there to find out, okay? So I'm trying to work on it, Gil. It's costly. But I'm going to get it, and it's going to be secret. I'm not going to brag about it because I'm going to struggle as a student, not a student athlete. I'm going to struggle, you know, but it's a financial burden also. You know, I don't want three headaches. You got to pay them. You got to get to reprogram the so-called brain cells that you have left, and also you got to attend. You know, there's a lot of stuff that people are doing online and stuff like that. I want to be active, and active means that you got to be there. You know, they got a couple programs, one at Fordham, one at Columbia, one at NYU. And I'm trying to see not which is the easiest one, but the more accessible one for me to get to, okay? Like I said, I want to be active. I don't want to be online and doing this and doing that. And I'm going to say this last piece about education, because somebody asked me about that PD, Supervision Administration. They said, you got it. I said, who got what? They said, didn't you? I said, you who? I said, it's called T-E-A-M. They said, what is that? I think that spells T. Together, everyone achieves more. And the guy looked at me and said, what does that mean? I said, I have help. That's what it means. Okay, I didn't do it by myself. It's not an I or it's not a you. It's a team degree. Okay, I had help. I had people that were in administrative people who helped me write papers and stuff like that. And it ain't no secret, Gil. Come on, man. When we was in school, did we get team help? Of course we did. We had tutors. We had mentors. The people that made the coursework easier for us. And I tell people, that's never a secret, okay? You just got to do it and make sure that you improve on it. That's all. In fact, Tiny, for me, you know, personally, one of the best things that I've done, I went back to Wake Forest, and for five years, Tiny, I was the academic advisor of athletics at Wake Forest. Okay. I was the mentor for the student-athletes. I was the mentor that I didn't have when I was at Wake, because when I went there, things were changing. You know, black kids going to white schools, and I was one of those first to do that along with Charlie Davis and Todd. But we didn't have a Gil McGregor to show them the ropes, to point out the mistakes that they should and shouldn't make. I did it for five years, and I'm very proud of that work. So I wanted to bring up to people who hear about your greatness and think that it's just one-sided. They don't know about both sides of the coin. And, And even... People, when they say, well, you know, you got a podcast talking about HBCUs and you didn't go to HBCU, and you didn't also, but someone told me that when you had a chance to talk about who you wish you had played for, and although you played for Glenn Haskins and that was a great coach, and you played for Bob Cousy, that was a great coach, that you really wanted to play for Big House Games. That's who no you would like to have played for. No question about it. My best friend, Ernie Brown, went there. I would have been after Earl, so I wouldn't have been sitting on the bench too much. You know, he was the greatest player that Big House Games had because they won the tournament, okay? But before Earl, 
They had a guy named Jack DeParis. Okay, you had yes. Carl Green. You had a lot of guys. You had Cleo Hill. You had a lot of guys, okay, that did damage in that CIAA that never got a chance to play. In never got a chance. Cleo Hill went to St. Louis, and, you know, you talk about the situations back then in the late 50s and early 60s. There was a whole lot of racism because the black players were recognized as just one-on-one, you know, dribbling the ball and stuff like that. And we had great players that could pass the ball, that could defend, that could jump. And I saw, I don't know who made it. I think it was Dan Chorus did it, the first jump shot, and it was a white man. I don't know if he was the first, but we had guys, Tarzan Cooper. We had guys that could fly. I'm serious. We had guys, Connie Hawkins came a lot later. We had Roger Brown. We had guys that can really play, but because they were so good, Gil, they couldn't play in the NBA right away. Yes. Hawk has a book out called Five, okay, when he went to, I believe it was Iowa, okay, and they protested about some kind of grades or something like that. So the NBA put him out. He played with the Trotters, okay. He played in the ABA first, and next thing you know, he won the suit against the NBA because they couldn't find anything. And then people caught Hawk at the tail end of his career because I've seen him early on. I tell people when I went to Rucker Park and yes. Morningside Park, Brooklyn, USA, because that's who we played for most of the time, Brooklyn, USA, with him and Roger Brown, Lenny Wilkins and all of them. You say, oh, all of them was on the same? Yes, they grew up in the same neighborhood too. Okay, all of them went to Boys High. I think Roger went to Wingate or Westinghouse. But all of them played with Brooklyn USA. So I used to go out there with Floyd Lane and Hilton and watch them battle each other. So I saw Hawk early on as a spectator. I told people there's different phases in your life. I watch them guys. And then you go in the park by yourself or with a friend and you try to emulate those guys. And then I became a player in the Rucker Park Tournament because, you know, people say Rucker Tournament. No, Rucker Park Tournament because it was called the Harlem Professional League later on, and then the entertainers took it over. It became the entertainers' tournament. But they got players like in North Carolina. I remember going to Charlotte, Maxwell, and McAdoo had a league. Okay, so everybody was trying to get people in shape and play against each other. And it's about competition, Gil. I don't care where you're from because people think, oh, the city got the best game. No, you get enough guys from the NBA, ABA, and former college guys, you can have your own game. Okay, and it's about competition. It ain't about who you are. It's about competition, staying in shape, staying healthy, and going back with a goal. Well, I remember whenever Todman and Charlie Davis would come back, and they talk about the Rucker tournament, and they talk about guys named Helicopter Herman Helicopter, and how he could hover over the rim, and and of course they came back talking about a guy that I had never heard of until they brought his name up to me, named Julius Irving, and what he was doing in the park, and. I actually had a chance to spend a little bit of time with Tyman up and had a chance to be out there and, and watch how people would climb that fence and hold on to the fence and watch and the ooh and the on and somebody to have some good music playing in the background. It might be Joe Batine talking about it in the bottle, but it was some great <laughs> basketball being played. And yeah, yeah, yeah. It was a great ball being played and some great people that have come this way. And I'm glad that you're one of the great people that came my way or that I had a chance to go your way because what you've done, Tiny, and I'm saying this, and I know you don't want people tooting your horn, but what you've done on the court 
matching what you've done off the court in terms of being a great humanitarian, being a person that's still involved with education, involved with young people. It's what we want the young people and the older people who hear our podcast to understand that that's what we're trying to promote. And you are just a great ambassador of that. And I want yeah. to thank you for your time and your attention to spending with us today because it's just very, very valuable. We want young people to understand that they got to keep it going. Hey, and you never give up, Gil. I appreciate you having me on, and I wish the best. Well, mate, Tiny Archibald, I make a joke. I tell people, I said, yes, Tiny led the league in assists and scoring in one year. And, and I can say I was part of it because that's part of history, and I was glad to have been there. And thank you so very much, and we wish you continued success. And when I can beat you the next time, I'll be talking to Dr. Archibald. Okay, thank you. <laughs> I appreciate it. Thank you, Tiny. All right. Have a great one now. Thank you so much. You too. Ladies right. and gentlemen, you've had a chance to experience right along with us conversation with one of the greatest to ever play the game. Not one of the greatest players, but one of the greatest people and player to ever play the game. And you got it right here. We hope you enjoyed the conversation with Nate Tanner Archibald, and we hope you'll join us next time for more great conversation, information, and entertainment. I've been your host, Gil McGregor. We'll see you next time. Thank you for tuning in to the podcast. For more information about us, please visit our website at www.bcsportsfoundation.com. Also, follow us on Instagram and Twitter at HBCU for Life. That's HBCU, the number four, Life. To be a potential guest on our podcast, contact Ed J. Hayes at ed.j.hayes at gmail.com. Tune in next week for another amazing show.